Well, if the Lord helps me this morning, I've got what may seem more like a lesson than a message, but I think also there may be a message within the lesson. Um, but if, if you're going to title it, it's Waiting on God. Waiting on God. And I'll be at a familiar place, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. But before we get there, um, this is going to seem random. It's going to seem very random, but just stick with me and it may make sense a little bit later. How many of us know what a mikveh is? I know Jessica does because we talked about it on the way here. But a, a mikvah is, for lack of a better term, it's a Jewish baptistry. Yep. <laughs> I knew that. It is, I, they had all kinds of rules about how it had to be built into the main structure of a building. It couldn't be a movable thing. It had to be like 11 inches above the waist. Deep enough to be 11 inches above the waist had to have at least 200 gallons of water, but it had to be natural water. Like you couldn't fill it with the garden hose from the spigot. It needed to be spring-fed, stream-fed, even rainwater caught. It had to be natural water, or at least originally that. That... <coughs> they got some rules and conditions in there later to make things easier like as long as it was originally filled that way then you could pipe in water after that to replace or you could have two connecting pools one could be smaller and collect the rainwater, and one could be filled but then there had to be like a two inch hole in it where the waters could kiss so that you had this blending of natural water anyway all that is neither here nor there except to give us an example. And the cool thing about the mikvah also is that it was for ritual washing. And, and there were different times when, when the Jews underwent ritual washing, but one of the most important for us to think about today is new converts to Judaism. New converts to Judaism had to be washed in the mikvah. And the way that you were washed in the mikvah was not... Well, I'll give you a hint. You weren't sprinkled. And you weren't poured. You were immersed. Completely. Not one hair on the head could be left out. Women had to take the braids out so that every hair got washed. So they had to be immersed in order to become Jews. And they had to be immersed in natural water. It didn't have to be running. Now, you'll see the parallel here. And I guess what I'm getting at is kind of a humorous side note is while Jews invented legalism, some of us Baptists have perfected it <laughs> in saying that you have to be immersed in running water. Because now it doesn't just have to be natural, it has to be running water. But the point is, where do you think we get the idea that that baptism has to be from immersion? God is the one that gave the Jews the rules for how to proselytize. 
God is the one that said, if one wants to become a Jew, one must be washed. So, take that as you will. But that is a mikvah. That word will become important. So, Isaiah chapter 40. So just remember that. I know that seemed random, but just remember that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Hast thou not known... Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. If you're like me, you've heard verse 31 many, many, many times, and probably even have it memorized, and it's kind of a comforting mantra to us in a lot of ways. And a lot of us, I I know here in this church, a lot of times we've said, and a lot of people among us everywhere spend a lot of time waiting on the Lord. Yes. But what does that mean? What does it mean when you're waiting on God? And that's what I started to explore. And it turns out that the word translated there, wait, and they that wait, is the Hebrew word kava. Q-A-V-A-H, if you ever want to look it up. And like a lot of words in Hebrew, and also like a lot of words in English, it has a literal definition. But it also has a figurative definition. Do we understand the difference between literal and figurative? I'm, I'm going to assume that we do, and, and for those who may hear later, I'll assume that they do. Well, a lot of people, they want to quote this scripture, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And they, they quote this to comfort themselves because life is hard. Their strength is running out. They're, they're trying hard to run the race, but they're getting very weary. They're trying hard to keep walking, but they're falling down. And they remind themselves that if they wait upon the Lord, the Lord will renew their strength. But what does that mean? We may say that for ourselves, and and here's where I want to ask the question. When you think about having your strength renewed, do you want that to happen literally or figuratively? Because that word kava, the figurative definition is to wait. And it is to wait with expectation, to expectantly hope for, to place hope in. But that is a figurative definition. The literal definition of kava is to gather, to gather together, or to collect, or to bind together, sometimes even like a cord, you know, by twisting strands. 
That's a whole lot different. So I started looking, where is the first time in Scripture that that word kava is used? <coughs> and it happens to be in Genesis 1.9. Genesis 1.9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And the waters being gathered together unto one place. That word is kava. And so I'm still confused as, as to what this means. Until I look a little further. And in verse 10. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas. So for the waters to be gathered together. That verb was kava. But once they were gathered together, once they were gathered, they're called mikvah. Mikvah is a collection. But it also has a literal and a figurative definition. The literal definition is a gathering, a a collection. The figurative definition is hope. So we have a verb and a noun that are related. Whereas kava is to place hope in something figuratively or to gather together literally. Mikvah is the gathering or it is hope. So I started looking into mikvah. And there are several places, but I just want to show you this one. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. O Lord, the hope of Israel. That is in Hebrew, mikvah Yisrael. The Lord is called the mikvah. He is the hope of Israel. And he is later in that verse also called the fountain of what? Living waters. See, we tend to We like to talk about the the woman at the well and the well of living water. But we forget that Jesus wasn't teaching her a new thing. He had already been called the fountain of living waters in Jeremiah. We forget that. The woman at the well probably knew it. She probably understood the illusion. But to me, it, it seems like a beautiful picture that in Genesis... The first kava is a gathering of the water into one place. And here we have the Lord, the mikvah, is the fountain of living water. So we have these literal definitions that we're dealing with, but how does that relate to Isaiah 40, 31? 
And what strikes me is I feel like a lot of us, when, when we think of waiting on God, we tend to be guilty of literally just sitting by, waiting for something to happen. Waiting for God to act. <laughs> We're waiting for God to act in some way, whether it be some miraculous sign, some miraculous deed, some unmistakable message from on high. But we're waiting upon God to act. And I'm not trying to demean or belittle those of us who are waiting on God because I've been guilty of that recently too. I have found myself, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. But let me ask you something. If you're waiting on God to act, are you actually waiting on the Lord or are you waiting on his action? Because if we're waiting on his action, then we're just sitting by doing nothing. And if we're sitting by doing nothing, then our strength will not be renewed. We will not run and not be weary if we're sitting doing nothing. We will not walk and not faint if we're sitting doing nothing because we're waiting on God to act. So if we want a literal renewal of strength, if we want a literal ability to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint, then let's look at that literal definition of to be gathered together. And if we're waiting, if we're gathering upon the Lord, then in our time of trial, is that what we're doing? If we are to wait upon the Lord, then regardless of the different ways that you can translate that, the, the different ways that you can interpret it about being... Uh, twisted, bound together like a cord, or just gathered together, the end of it is, are you drawing near to God? Are you drawing nearer to the Lord? I mean, that, after all, is part of the purpose of, of the ecclesia. Is we are the called out ones, right? If you look at it, we're called out for his purpose. Just like the waters were called together in one place. So in one sense, it's important that we gather here like we are this morning because it is in the gathering here together with the body of Christ that we begin to wait upon the Lord. Because we draw near to each other, but we draw near to Him through our songs of praise, through our time of prayer, through our time of, of preaching, the, the, the testimonies, all that happens within our services, as long as it is directed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then it draws us nearer to Him. True worship draws us nearer to the Lord. And we gather, we gain strength in coming together. And we know that. 
We, we've been in spiritual services. We've been in, in times of actual renewal where we have really felt revived. And in those times, don't you feel as though you can run and not be weary? Don't you leave those places feeling as though your strength is new, renewed and as though you're soaring like on wings of eagles? But in those times, in those services, we don't find ourselves just waiting on God to move. We find ourselves drawing closer to Him. See, that word wait is still a verb. It still implies action on our part. Not inaction, like the verb in English implies, but it is still a verb. So there's something to do. And I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but but I think it's beautiful to look at the literal definitions of kava and mikvah and then realize that later in scripture Jesus is called the mikvah so we're instructed to gather to be collected under the Lord well the first time that happened the waters were gathered together and then they were called mikvah the collection or the hope So what about for us when we draw near unto the Lord or place our hope in Him actively? You can look at it either way because there's a duality to the Hebrew language. It's not one or the other, it's both, but sometimes looking at one can help us to have a better understanding of the other. So we place our hope upon God. We place our hope upon the Lord. We wait upon Him. We draw nearer to him. We are collected unto him. And once we're collected, we find ourselves in a mikvah. We find ourselves immersed in hope. I mean, that's why it was so important for Jews that that they be immersed. That's why it's important for us. Do you want to be sprinkled with a little bit of Jesus? Do you want a little bit of Jesus to be poured over your head and then roll off? Or do you want to be immersed in Him? Completely covered, suspended, unable to breathe on your own when you're immersed in Him. He is the breath. He is the life. Immersed in hope. What a beautiful picture that is. But how does that change the way we look at how we wait upon the Lord? Or does it? But my challenge has been that I, I tend to want to wait inactively for Him to act. But then am I waiting on God? Or am I waiting on His goodies? <clears throat> See, um, and we have this pious way of looking at things. 
that we don't want to move until the Lord tells us to move. We don't want to do anything until the Lord tells us to do it. Now sometimes there, there are times in life when you have an urge to do something, but then something in your spirit says, wait. You have an urge to do something, and there's an urge in your spirit that says, go now. You have an urge to do something, and, and there's a voice within you that says, no. There are times when God speaks like that, but there are times when he doesn't. And we waste time. We waste God's time. We waste our stewardship of the time that he's given to us trying to be overly holy, waiting on some kind of sign. Adam, in the garden, was told to name the animals. God sent the animals to him, said, Adam, name the animals. Adam knew the will of God was for him to name the animals. And Adam named the animals. But I'm afraid that a lot of our well-meaning people these days, if we were Adam in the garden, then God would send the animals, and we would know that his will for us was to name the animals, but as the animal came, we'd just stand there. The animal looking at us like, well, what's it going to be? And we're saying, I don't know. I'm waiting to hear from the Lord. Sometimes the Lord gives us direction just to see what we'll do. He gives us autonomy over some things. He gives us dominion. That hasn't changed. That God gave man dominion over the earth has not changed. We gave it away when we let ourselves be overcome by sin. But we're new creatures. And we still, by his authority, have dominion over the earth. So unless he says otherwise, we can do what we will. That's the meaning of liberty. Unless he says otherwise, we can do what we will. So why are we sometimes guilty of doing nothing? Maybe sometimes piously, though mistakenly, we are waiting on God to give us direction. But at those points, are we really waiting on God or are we waiting on His move, His goodies, His blessing? And then sometimes we use it as an excuse. I know what the will of God is. But I don't really want to do it. So until he tells me exactly, I'm just going to wait on God. We use waiting on God as an excuse for our inactivity and our disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you don't believe it, think back to when you were kids. Or think about your own kids. And you tell your kids, go clean your room. Two hours later, they haven't done it. And they say, well, I was going to do it later. Are they still in trouble? Were you? I was. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's like me saying, well, Mom, I was going to clean my room, but I was waiting for a sign from you that it was time. 
I was going to do the laundry, but I was waiting for it to appear. <laughs> we, we wouldn't dream of that, and yet we do that with God. We know what his will is. And ultimately, his will is that we would be conformed and made more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Who had an inextricably bound relationship with God the Father. They were entwined like cord. Strands twisted around each other to the point that they were inseparable and insurmountably strong. So if the will of God is that we should be made more into the image of Jesus Christ, then what does that say for how we should draw near to God in our relationship? How do, what does that say for how we should be gathered unto him, collected unto the Lord? Is that what it means to wait upon the Lord? So that we draw near to Him. We become closer to Him. More inextricably intertwined. That word um, shall renew their strength. That word renewed can also be translated passed through so that their strength is passed through well what happens when we intertwine ourselves with the Lord what happens when you make any rope any cord you have multiple strands that are all you, you can snap them but you braid or twist cords together you can't break it the strength of the one is surpassed. It's passed through for the strength of the greater. So we draw so near to the Lord. We really wait upon the Lord. We're gathered to him to be bound together with him like Jesus was, which is his will for us to be more like Jesus. And we will find our strength renewed. We will be able to run and not be weary. I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus, several times in his human form, was tired and wanted to go sleep. But the crowd followed after. And he looked at them and had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He said, all right, back to work. He ran without being weary. He walked without fainting. Because he truly waited upon the Lord. In his humanity, he drew inextricably near to God. And because he was so near to God, he knew the heart of God. He knew the will of God. Yes, I know he was God. And we can say that he had the mind of God. But he set that aside to be completely human. And in his humanity, he did not have the divine mind. He had what the Lord gave him. He had what the Father gave him at the time. If we say that he had supernatural knowledge, then he was no longer fully human. 
But he had what the Lord gave him. He knew the will of God because he was so close to the Father that he knew what to do. So for those of us who, and I know we kind of talked about this earlier in a joking way, but for those who say they want to know the will of God, well, first of all, it's in Scripture. There are a couple times that Paul says it in different ways. There are different words used. But he comes out and says, this is the will of God. That. And it all boils down to be more like Jesus. It always boils down to this is the will of God. Be more like Jesus. So it's in Scripture. But if you really want to know the will of the Father, know the Father. Draw near be gathered be collected place your hope there it's the only sure thing and there you find the mikvah and you can be immersed in him immersed in hope And yes, you find your strength renewed. Really good example of that is in 2 Corinthians. Which we know this. But Paul says, I had these great revelations. And just so I shouldn't get too arrogant about it. A messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. He had a thorn in his flesh. And he says, three times I prayed to the Lord that he would remove it. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. See, Paul was waiting on God to move. He was just waiting on God to move, but he wasn't doing nothing. Instead, he was drawing near the Lord in the process. And when the Lord finally moves and his answer is, my grace is sufficient. When the Lord doesn't move as we expect him to, sometimes we get filled with disappointment. We get filled with dread, filled with doubt. It's easy to do. But that's a sure sign that you've been waiting on the Lord to move. You've been waiting on his goodies rather than waiting on him. Because Paul's response in that, no, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. His response was, I will then glory in my infirmities. I will rejoice in my weakness because in my weakness he is made strong. Because in drawing near to God, he was made more like Christ. And he realized that his suffering would make him even more like Christ. And that Christ would be glorified in his sufferings or in his successes as long as he waited upon the Lord. So what is our attitude as we wait upon the Lord? What, what are we waiting for? That's a, that's a question for you to ask yourself. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the Lord to do something, to move in some way? It's not wrong to pray about those things. 
But if you're being inactive, just waiting on the Lord to move, I would venture to say you may be in the wrong. You may be guilty of delayed obedience. Or you may just be guilty of wasting the Lord's time. If you're not sure what the will of God for your life is, draw near to Him. Don't wait for some miraculous sign or some unmistakable voice from the heavens saying, sort the laundry. Because it's not going to come. You draw near to Him. And as you draw near to Him, everything else will become clear. The instructions will become clear. So what are you waiting for? Are you waiting on the goodies? Or are you waiting on the Lord? Let's wait on the Lord. Waiting on the goodies, I just get tired. I am tired. I stay tired if I focus on the things that I want him to do. How about I try to change my focus to wanting him and more of him? And then he'll do whatever he needs to do or wants to do because he's God and he can. But in the meantime, we can exercise our liberty to as we sense a move, as we realize God's will, or as we just realize that we have dominion over some things here. We can do what we will. If you feel like you want to go into a career that will be very lucrative and bless you financially, and there is nothing in your spirit saying otherwise, then you don't have to have a sign from God saying it's okay. Go for it. Be industrious and be lucrative. If you have a dream on your heart of something you've always wanted to do, and this goes for individuals, it also goes for churches. If you have a vision that you know, that you know is good and right and would benefit the kingdom, then go for it with all your strength. Until you hear something that definitively says no, Waiting on a yes sometimes won't happen. Because sometimes his yes is that he gave you the vision. And you say, well, we don't have the manpower for that. Well, go get it. Or, or find a way. Or start small. But don't delay your obedience. Don't waste God's time because you need ten people and you've only got six. Do what you can with six. Well, we just don't have the money for that, so we just won't do anything until God rains down pennies from heaven. Have fun with that. I'm not saying God won't provide sometimes, but when we delay our obedience because we're waiting on a sign. 
then we've placed our hope in the thing instead of in God. You understand? You place your hope in the thing instead of in God. Whereas if you start to move with the six people that you've got, God is very likely to provide the other four just out of nowhere. You make your plans with little to no resources and God is very likely to just provide far and above what is necessary. So there may be others listening or we may be here and, and we think, well, I have this idea, I have this thought, I'm just, I'm just waiting on God. I want you to think about what you mean when you say that. Because I've been thinking about what I mean when I say it. Are you drawing near to Him? Are you placing your hope in Him? Are you waiting for Him? Are you placing your hope in His blessings? In the goodies that He'll provide? In, in, the, in the signs and wonders that, that He will perform? Where is our hope? Our hope is in the mikvah. Hope is the mikvah. The hope is in the gathering, the drawing near to him. So hear that one more time, perhaps with new ears. I don't know. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint.